When you let your breath go forth, they shall be made, and you shall renew the face of the earth. From the 104th Psalm, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. I can't breathe. These last words from George Floyd rang throughout the nation this past week, lingering in the air, unsettling and disturbing us. They were so haunting in part because these same words had been uttered 11 times by Eric Gardner, another unarmed black man as he died at the hands of police in 2014. I can't breathe. And the words seem for many to encapsulate what it feels like to be black in America. The words fill protest signs, murals, tributes, the heavy burden of prejudice, the pain of disproportionate inequality, the constant fear of harassment and violence, and even death. It is suffocating. And the words have pained the consciences of so many of us because of their vivid and evocative character. Anyone who has had the wind knocked out of them or been swept up in an ocean current or been sick in their lungs knows the terror of struggling for breath. It is panic-inducing. It's incapacitating. Maybe you've known the suffocating burden of the unending grief of losing a spouse, or the crippling weight of anxiety, or the devastating news of a new diagnosis, and you felt yourself gasping for breath, you can't breathe. To be deprived of breath, whether existentially or as with George Floyd and Eric Garner, and so many others quite literally, is to be stripped of life, of humanity. It's fitting to think about breath today. You might know that the Hebrew word ruach, which in the Holy Scriptures is translated spirit, means wind or breath. Ruach HaKadosh, God's Holy Spirit. Over and over throughout the Hebrew scriptures, we are invited to contemplate this connection between spirit and breath. Just as breath is the life-giving power to our being, that which sustains our every moment, so is the spirit, the breath of God, that which sustains and enlivens the whole creation. And so as we reflect on breath, breathlessness in these days, we are invited to contemplate the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the breath of God, and to wonder if the Spirit might have anything to say, any hope to bring to a world in which so many are crying out, I can't breathe. Today we celebrate Pentecost, couldn't tell. That was what was happening there during the gospel reading, the reading and the multiplicity, the gospel and the multiplicity of languages all together in one voice. Today we celebrate this commemoration 
of Pentecost in which we remember God's pouring out of the Holy Spirit upon the people of God, filling the church with the very life and breath of God. The church is born at Pentecost just like Adam was created by God's breath, filling it, giving it life. And in a way, the entire Christian story can be told as a story about breath, about life, about spirit. One of the very first things we read about in the sacred scriptures, of course, is the story of creation in which even before creation comes into existence, the spirit of God was hovering over the waters of nothingness. It is by the Spirit and the Word that God the Father creates and brings forth creation out of nothing. It's not just that God speaks creation into existence by his Word. God breathes creation into being by his Spirit. Creation comes into existence by the Spirit and is filled with God's Spirit. And this is seen, of course, most vividly in the creation of humankind made from the dust, but given life by the Spirit. God breathes spirit, life, breath into Adam's nostrils, and he comes alive. And this body, humanity, though finite and frail, is nevertheless preserved from death and harm in the garden by God's life-giving spirit and presence. When humankind sins, falling into evil and death, they are placed outside the paradise of God's sustaining presence, banished from the provision of God's life-giving spirit. They deprive themselves of God's life and breath. Their sin leads to death. They choose alienation and find themselves suffocating, breathless. Eventually, sin runs so rampant across the earth, choking out the spirit of life that God chooses to flood it, drowning evil and sin and restoring creation. But soon after, of course, we see in our reading from Genesis this morning, the people of the earth have rebelled once again, resisting the vitality of creation's multiplicity and diversity by subjecting it to totalizing uniformity and the commanding order of empire, Babel. God's people, who you remember, were instructed to be fruitful and multiply across the face of the earth, are now found gathered in one place, refusing to be dispersed, building a grand display of power upwards to the heavens to unseat God from his throne, rather than filling the earth and stewarding it as God had commanded. And so, detesting humanity's pride, the Lord says, Behold, they are one people, and they all have one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do, the Lord says. Babel is the antithesis of spirit, who manifests in the diversity and dissimilitude of creation, Whereas the telos of creation exists, as the book of Revelation says, in the worship of God from a great multitude, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, Babel is the opposite. It's the totalitarian suppression of difference in praise of humanity's technological power. And the Lord 
wrecks this imperial project, scattering the people to the ends of the earth, dispersing them throughout the world, multiplying their languages, and thus reviving the vibrant spirit of his creation. And yet sin has run deep in creation. But God is not content to sit and watch God's creatures struggle to breathe and succumb to death. God initiates a covenant with God's people, Israel. When they are enslaved and oppressed in Egypt, God endows Moses with God's spirit to lead Israel to freedom. Before his death, Moses lays hands on Joshua, giving him the spirit of wisdom. Joshua leads the people and the spirit into the promised land, we're told, even as God's spirit goes before Israel in battle to secure their victory. And throughout the Old Testament, we see God's spirit actively involved in the life of God's people, working for their holiness and fidelity and protection. Elders are given the spirit to bring prudence and judgments and arbitration. God's spirit gives special wisdom to the craftsmen who build the tabernacle, where, of course, God comes to dwell in spirit. Prophets are anointed by the Spirit to rebuke Israel in her injustice, to call her to fidelity, and to prophesy her renewal. Kings are anointed by the Spirit to rule God's people in righteousness and justice, and all of Israel longs for, hopes for, and awaits the day when, as the Lord says to the prophet Joel, I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. And God will be all in all. In the Gospels, we meet Jesus as the one anointed by the Spirit at baptism, who is driven by the Spirit into temptation in the wilderness, who preaches freedom and liberation in the power of the Spirit in the temple. He's filled with the Spirit, we're told, to cast out demons and to heal. His identity is revealed to those who have faith by the witness of the Spirit. Jesus is, in short, the iconic depiction of human life lived fully by the power of God's Spirit. Human life lived fully alive, which is to say, life lived on borrowed breath, the breath of God. Until, that is, Jesus' breath is stolen. He the innocent one, is arrested and tried and executed in a grand display of injustice. He is hung on a cross to die, of course, by asphyxiation. Hanging there, he struggles for air, painfully lifting up his nailed body as he fights for every breath. Until finally, Mark tells us, he lets out a loud cry and breathes his last. God, the sustainer of creation, the breath of life, gives up his breath. Christ cannot breathe. And we simply must contemplate and dwell on this paradox for a moment. Jesus Christ, the life of the world, lacks breath. He cannot breathe. 
He is deprived of the very life he created. Taken from him is the very life-giving breath of God, which he shares eternally in the communion of the Blessed Trinity. Christ cannot breathe. And in this moment, as the Son of God lies dead, broken, breathless, we see that God stands in the place of every human creature deprived of breath. God enters the space of death, of evil, of breathlessness, and claims it and fills it with God's presence. In the cross, we see God's absolute, resolute solidarity with the breathless. In Christ's death, God himself speaks the fateful words, I can't breathe. Christ lies in a tomb, his dead body still, no movement in his chest until suddenly he gasps. His lungs are filled with the air of Easter morning. And God the Father, by the power of the Spirit, raises the body of Jesus to new, resurrected life. Christ breathes. God steals back breath from those who took it and fills the body of Jesus with new life, with new breath. But of course, it doesn't end there. Because Christ does not simply take back that breath for himself. Resurrected by the power of the Spirit, he then gathers his disciples to share in that same Spirit. And what does he do? He breathes on them. St. John records this remarkable event in John 20. The resurrected Lord appears to his disciples and says, Peace be with you. And then John continues, When he had said this, he breathed on them. Receive the Holy Spirit, he says. The God who breathed life into Adam's nostrils, who fills up the lifeless lungs of the crucified Jesus, now breathes the Spirit on the disciples. He gives them breath. And this is a foretaste of Pentecost, which we read about in Acts this morning in which God definitively gifts his spirit to the church. And from there on out, through the rest of the New Testament, we simply read instance after instance of the people of God, empowered by the spirit, breathing in and out the life of God's redemption, proclaiming the gospel of God's taking back stolen breath to fill the lungs of God's people with the goodness of redeemed life. He gives us breath. And this story of God's breath and our breathing in God's new life in the Spirit, it continues even to this day, and especially this day, as we baptize new members into the waters of life this morning. These children of God will be washed with the same water, the liturgy says, over which the Holy Spirit moved at the beginning of creation. In baptism, we are plunged 
into the waters of Christ's death and resurrection, and we emerge gasping for new air, the breath of God and new life. And emerging from these waters, we are anointed with oil, sealed by the Holy Spirit and marked by God's very breath on our own bodies. In baptism, God gives us breath. But breath is a gift. And because it is a gift, it binds us to the giver. The gift of the Spirit joins us in the activity of God, God's salvation and renewal of the whole creation. God's Spirit, God's breath is a gift meant to send us out, to be ambassadors of new life, to bring breath to the breathless. What do the disciples do once the Spirit has descended on them at Pentecost? You got a foretaste of it this morning. They break forth in proclamation. Peter exclaims, In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And this is what the disciples do. They break forth from their house and they prophesy. They proclaim the salvation of God. They announce the inbreaking into this world of God's righteousness and justice. And what follows, if you noted it, is a reversal of Babel, an undoing of sin's stifling of the Spirit, because now the multitude is gathered, but each hears in her own language. The Spirit is being poured out on all flesh. And in baptism, we participate in this miracle of Pentecost. Those who enter the waters of baptism are given God's Spirit and empowered to walk in new life. And those who witness these baptisms today renew their own baptismal vows and recommit themselves to walk in the Spirit. And all the baptized renew their commitment to the vocation to which they are appointed in virtue of their baptism. Do you know what that is? The vocation of the baptized, we see in our readings today, is to prophesy. In baptism, every Christian is anointed by God's Spirit to be a prophet. Peter announces this at the outpouring of God's Spirit. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall see dreams. And even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my Spirit and they shall prophesy. In baptism, every Christian is made a prophet. And the task of the prophet is to proclaim God's salvation, God's justice and righteousness, to prophesy of God's coming kingdom, of God's judgment and mercy, to announce the triumph of God's life-giving love over every power of sin and death. The task of the prophet is to stand up opposed to every mechanism of death, every deprivation of breath, 
to renounce every power of this world which corrupts and destroys the creatures of God. So, this morning, let us go forth as prophets, baptized with God's Spirit, proclaiming the good news of God's redemption. And may the God who gives us breath send us out to breathe his new life into the world so that all creation might be filled with his presence and renewed by his spirit so that all might breathe and so that everything and everyone that has breath may praise the Lord in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Thank you.